Welcome back to the Adam Schefter Podcast as we head out of the conference championship games and on to Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas and the matchup between the Kansas City Chiefs and San Francisco 49ers. And who better to join this podcast than the man that this Super Bowl is about, the man that is more tied to both teams than any other, Alex Smith, who played seven years for San Francisco before being traded to the Chiefs, where he played for five years. He lives in the Bay Area, knows all the former 49ers. He was the former number one overall pick, compared and contrasted to the last pick in the draft, Brock Purdy. And Alex is close with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and has tremendous insight into what's ahead in Super Bowl 58. And I was a little surprised at some of his thoughts. And... We also will be joined by a man connected to both San Francisco and Las Vegas. And that is the celebrity chef, restaurateur, cookbook author, Michael Mina, who owns 42 restaurants across the country, seven in Las Vegas, and is a huge 49ers game and was in attendance on Sunday for the NFC Conference Championship game victory over the Detroit Lions, and he will be in attendance at Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas, his other home away from home of San Francisco for the big 49ers-Chiefs matchup in Super Bowl 58. And with that, we now will turn to my friend, my colleague, the great Lions fan and co-host of the Fantasy Focus podcast, Daniel Dopp, for this week's Six Pack. And for the first time since we've had Daniel Dopon quarterbacking the six-pack, I will take it over and lead in with the first question because Daniel is a diehard Lions fan. And my first question for this week's six-pack is, Daniel, what was that game like for you and how are you feeling today? Oh, man. First off, I love running the Wildcat, Adam. Love having you under center with the first question here, right? I got to be honest. This was the best Detroit Lions season of my entire life, Adam Schefter. Like, yes, I am bummed that we did not make it to the Super Bowl. But I am fully in on this Lions team, this front office, and Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes we trust. I got no issue at all. Zero issue with Dan Campbell going for it on fourth down. That's how we got here is through Dan Campbell being aggressive, playing that style of football. By the way, if it's not for Josh Reynolds dropping those couple of passes, those drives continue to keep on moving down the field. So I got no problem with it, especially in the second half. Unfortunately, we left some plays on the field, but congrats to the 49ers because they didn't. They fought super hard to come back from that victory. But Adam, I have never been happier, never been yeah. happier in my entire life to be picking 29th in the first round yeah. of the NFL draft. With the draft being in Detroit, by the way, I got a couple of things to share from the other night that are unbelievable. All right, so, bring it. One of my single closest friends in life and my single closest friend in Colorado is a man by the name of Tom Manugian. He's a loyal podcast listener. He was the voice out in Colorado known as Lou from Littleton. He and I have remained very close over the years, and he is a huge Lions fan. So on already. Sunday night, Sunday night, I get a text from him when the score was about 24 to 7 that says i'm gonna need some help with super bowl tickets i already booked the flight and hotel 
just now. I hope I didn't jinx them. And I said, where'd you book the hotel? Mandalay Bay, four nights, $542. I fly in late Thursday, leave Monday, 542 total. I'm like, $542 for four nights? He sends me the certificate or a seat of it. And he said, I got to get my wife ready for bed. I'll talk to you soon. Next text I get from him is, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> and I said, you booked your rooms. He said, yeah, and I should know better than to do stupid stuff like that for a second. I forgot it was the Lions. Horrible second half left, six points on the field by going for it on fourth down twice. I'm sick. Now, the other interesting text that I got is I was watching the game with the Nickelodeon sideline correspondent, one Dylan Schefter. Right. And when it yep. was 24-7, she headed upstairs to go shower. She thought she could sneak in a shower. At 8.58 Sunday night, text from Dylan Schefter. When did the tie happen? I just got out of the shower. Like, <laughs> what? This is insane. <laughs> and I said, it is. I did not expect this. I actually got out of the shower like five minutes ago, and this is what it was. And she sends me a little snapshot of 2410. How? In three minutes? Question mark, question mark, question mark. So we had one Lions fan booking his hotel. We yep. had my daughter, who's ready to cover the game, thinking in her mind it was the Lions. And by the time she got out of her shower, the game had turned, and you know the rest. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. It was a great game. It was something that even though the Lions lost Adam, it was so much fun to be able to watch in a championship game that I will remember forever uh, just because of the season that it was for the Detroit Lions. I admire your approach. I don't know that I could feel the same if I rooted for that team as long as I did and it turned out the way that it did, but good for you. I think that's outstanding. I appreciate that. All right, Adam, topic number two. Let's stick in Michigan and turn the page on Jim Harbaugh's latest chapter at the University of Michigan. He is leaving there to become the head coach, obviously, of Justin Herbert and the L.A. Chargers. I just want to ask you, Adam, what kind of a legacy do you feel like Jim Harbaugh leaves behind at Michigan? What's fascinating about this to me, Daniel, is this. A lot of college coaches leave their programs. Kalen DeBoer leaves Washington for Alabama, whoever, and they, they get criticized. And you had to figure that people in Michigan, you're from there, would mm -hmm. be upset with Jim Harbaugh leaving Michigan. Let me say this. Jim Harbaugh said that his goal in life was to be buried as a man who was a Michigan man, who bled the maize and blue. That is what he was. That is what he did. He has meant more to that university than just about anybody I know. When I was a freshman there in 1985, he threw a long touchdown pass to John Colazar, who ran right at the freshman section, and we cheered for John Colazar, and we cheered for Jim Harbaugh, and we watched him become a first-round draft pick of the Chicago Bears, and he was Michigan's quarterback going in the first round. I don't believe Michigan's ever had another quarterback go in the first round. J.J. McCarthy will have the chance, but I think he's the only one to ever do that. We watched him in the NFL. We watched him go back to Michigan to take over a program that at that time, Daniel, was flailing, was struggling. He didn't succeed right away. It took some time. I had friends who wanted him fired. They wanted him out. And I'm like, no, we're sticking with this guy. He knows how to do it. He knows what it's about. And in the end, he takes that team and gets it past Michigan State and Ohio State and takes the three final fours and ultimately wins the national championship and accomplish everything that he could. As he said, college football doesn't have a Vince Lombardi trophy. So he wasn't sticking around 
to get a Vince Lombardi trophy that he could never achieve, no matter how great he was at Michigan, and he was great. Let me tell you this. Bo Schembechler is a legendary figure in Michigan, and Jim Harbaugh goes down in history with Bo Schembechler, which is about as strong a compliment as you could ever pay him, and I'm honored that he was the coach there. He did an unbelievable job. He owes the program nothing, and everybody from Michigan will be watching and rooting for him from afar as he takes over the Los Angeles Chargers. There's nobody that could say anything bad affiliated with the school that watched him, cheered for that program, and saw what he did. He owes nobody anything, and now everybody waits to see if he can go get that Vince Lombardi trophy in L.A. Yeah, and Adam, you are right. The only first-round quarterback the University of Michigan has ever had, drafted in the first round in 1987. So J.J. McCarthy has a chance to do something that Jim Harbaugh is the only other guy to do this year. All right, let's move on. Topic number three, speaking of Jim Harbaugh and these coaches, Adam, something pretty cool here. It feels like the NFL is starting to look at minority coaches a little bit differently. I saw a report that we've had four minority coaches hired this year. Atlanta's Raheem Morris, Gerard Mayo in New England, Antonio Pierce in Las Vegas, and Dave Canellis in Carolina. Is this a change? Is there a shift that's happening here within NFL teams where we're starting to look at this more seriously like we were always supposed to? Let me say this. The last year, the league took a lot of criticism, got blasted, and deservedly so, for the lack of progress in minority hiring. Mm-hmm. And this year, as we tape this early Tuesday morning and as we await two final head coaching vacancies to be filled, the league has made progress. Now, I did see a comment from Geno Smith last week that I think is spot on where he said it's 2024 and we're talking about minorities. So it's not encouraging. I think we have to get away from that talk and let people be people. But that's another topic right there. And he's right about that. And when we don't have to talk about this at all, then we'll know that progress is being made. But the fact of the matter is, with the league pushing the way that it has, with the league really after teams, Four minority head coaches have been hired this offseason. Raheem Morris by the Falcons, Gerard Mayo by the Patriots, Antonio Pierce by the Raiders, and Dave Canales by Carolina. That brings the number of head coaches of color entering the 2024 season to nine, the most in league history. That's the most. Never had more. So the league is adding minorities, not subtracting minorities, and Like I said, we're going to rip the league last year, which we did. Then it does deserve some credit, even though Geno Smith thinks that the ultimate sign of progress will be when this is not talked about and not an item in a place like this in the weekly six pack. Yeah. Topic number four, Adam Schefter, speaking of these coaches, and you mentioned it, Seattle and Washington have yet to fill their vacancies. They're the two teams left to be able to not have a head coach. I still, unless you tell me I'm wrong, Bill Belichick is still out there and available, Adam Schefter. I mean, do you have anything, any insight that you can give us on why the maybe greatest NFL coach of all time is not with the team yet? Well, I will say this, that you don't know what's going to happen. And again, it's Tuesday morning as we tape this. And until every vacancy is filled and until we know that no other coach is walking away, Until we know that Bill Belichick is not a head coach, then he's not a head coach. But for the time being, it's certainly shaping up Mm -hmm. right now as it looks like Bill will not be a head coach in 2024. We'll see if anything changes. But he's going to have a lot of options with a lot of things to do. And one misperception is that he has to have control. No, he doesn't. He just wants to coach. One thing is he wants to have control of the whole building. No, he doesn't. He just wants to be involved. But I go back to a text that I got from an executive 
last week on a team that changed a dominant head coach. And this guy said to me, one thing I remember about when our owner let our head coach go. It's a lot of work for an owner when you hire someone from outside the structure that you have in place. The guy we hired to replace the guy we had was totally different, and that required a lot of attention to operational details that our owner never had to deal with with the previous head coach. Our owner didn't enjoy having to immerse himself in the details. It's been on autopilot for the crafts with respect to how they operate. That will change if they go outside for a new coach. That would be Arthur Blank in his 80s, and the same thing applies here. Now, that was a text he sent me right at the start of the hiring cycle. He sent it to me again last week as a reminder. And the idea is that owners sometimes know, but to really change your organization requires more work for them than sometimes they want to do. So bringing in a new coach like a Bill Belichick would require a lot. And that's one reason that he still is out on the street. Now, again, I think Washington's talked about him. And until Washington has filled the job, I'm not going to ever rule him out. Do I think he's getting it? No. Do I think he's on the outside looking in? Yes. But how do you know that they're not going to go through the process, look at all the guys and say, okay, are we better hiring this young coordinator or turning to Bill Belichick? Like that still could be a conversation that they have. So I just want to hold out and wait and see until that one's filled. And I want to wait and see that Andy Reid doesn't retire at the end. Again, sure. it's a question. He's the oldest coach in the league. He's thought about in the past. To me, he's a Supreme Court justice and is tenured and gets to stay as long as he wants. No issues. But at some point, he's going to say, you know what? That's enough. And there were people that said to me before the playoffs began, if the Chiefs ever could find a way to win the Super Bowl, which they're now one game away from doing, then Andy would have to sit back and think about it. Now, if he comes out and says, I'm coaching next year, Done. End of speculation. But that's a question until he refutes it and says it's not an issue. I haven't heard that yet. Maybe he'll say that in Las Vegas next week. We'll see. But Bill Belichick sits out there. There's a lot to it. And I can't imagine a football season without Bill Belichick coaching. But we're certainly facing the very real prospect of that happening, Daniel. Yeah, that's the crazy part, Adam, is feeling like having a season where Bill isn't a head coach in the NFL feels so weird to me. And uh, we might have that at our doorstep. So we'll continue to watch that as Seattle and Washington fill their vacancies. Topic number five here, Adam, though, I want to ask you, there's another head coach that just lost his job in Tennessee, and that's Mike Vrabel, another guy that I think is usually really, really well thought of and has been a coaching candidate for a long time. What's the latest with him? Where's he at in all of this? Well, it's interesting. He spoke with the Chargers. He spoke with the Falcons. He was in the Panthers building the morning before they wound up hiring Dave Canales as their head coach, the former Buccaneers offensive coordinator. So he interviewed, as best as I can tell, for three head coaching jobs, didn't get any of them. And he doesn't appear to be in play in Seattle or Washington. So there's another guy that's sitting out there. By the way, he did play for Kansas City. If Andy Reid ever decide that he would want to walk away, that would be certainly an interesting little option for Clark Hunt if it went that way. But Mike Vrabel's still out there. What I believe happened here is that I think he was squarely in play in L.A., Daniel. And I believe, though I can't prove, that if Jim Harbaugh didn't get that Chargers job and if Jim Harbaugh 
had gotten on the plane to go from Los Angeles to Atlanta to interview for the Falcons job that he was scheduled to interview for that Thursday, I believe the Chargers would have gone down the path of hiring Mike Vrabel. And Mike Vrabel would have been coaching Justin Herbert this season, which is certainly an interesting, intriguing prospect to think about. Didn't happen. Didn't get the job. Jim took it. Jim clearly was the Chargers' first choice. But I think if he had somehow decided to go listen to what Atlanta had to say, I think Mike Vrabel would have walked through that door and been square in play. Wow. Interesting how things could have been different this coaching cycle. All right, last one, Adam Schefter. Topic number six. Let's talk about the Super Bowl. It's coming up in a couple of weeks. The last time these two teams met, Chiefs and 49ers, was in 2020. I just want to ask you, what do you remember about the last time these two teams played in the Super Bowl? Now, there are so many people in the 49ers organization that I've known for so long. Christian McCaffrey is a little boy, right? Kyle Shanahan is a little boy. So many of the coaches that he had, I've crossed paths with professionally for a long period of time. So to me, I'm like, wow, when they were playing the last time, all these people that I knew, Christian wasn't a part of the team then, but they're on the verge of winning the Super Bowl. And at that point in time, if we go back to that particular game, Daniel, the 49ers got out to a big lead at one point in time. They were up 20 to 10 entering the fourth quarter of that Super Bowl before the Chiefs scored three touchdowns in the final seven minutes to win. Mm. Three touchdowns in the final seven minutes. And I walked out of my little section and I made a right turn to begin to, I don't know whether it was go down to the field or go meet the ESPN people. I don't remember where I was going, but I do remember literally running from my seat, making a right. And who were the two people that I literally bumped into right then and there? Peggy and Mike Shanahan, Kyle's parents. Whoa. Right at the end of the game. Literally. I mean, it was the most surreal, bizarre, random meeting. Like, you could turn the corner as you're exiting and bump into any Joe fan. Anybody. Anybody. And I bump into my longtime friends, people that I've known since the early 1990s. I've known them for close to 35 years. And they look like they were just leaving a funeral. Mm -hmm. They were sick. They were inconsolable and i didn't know what to say and i'm like hey i'm really sorry it was so close they'll be back they're gonna have another chance they did such a great job they had such a great season i'm sorry it didn't work like honestly that's just like you don't even know what to say to somebody who is grief stricken and they both were and it was the strangest thing to bump into just them at that moment as i was turning to go on my way and i will always Remember that meeting from that Super Bowl when the Chiefs wiped out the 49ers lead. And that's what I remember. And you know what else? Kyle Shanahan, when he got to the podium on Sunday, the words he used were unfinished business. Now, I don't know how that pertains to this game. I like a lot of the matchups for the Chiefs here. I never would pick against number 15, Superman, Patrick Mahomes himself. But I do know that the 49ers have been looking forward to this for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And I do know the feeling that I had when I bumped into the Shanahan's and I saw the feeling they had, and I guarantee you that the feeling that Kyle and the rest of the 49ers had stayed with them as well. And we'll see whether that turns into anything beyond just that day. All right. We have a man that I believe this Super Bowl is for 
ESPN analyst Alex Smith has connections to the 49ers and the Chiefs. He lives in the Bay Area. He was drafted number one overall by the 49ers before being traded to the Chiefs, where he essentially mentored Patrick Mahomes, became friendly with Travis Kelsey, and learned all about Andy Reid. We figured that if this is the Alex Smith Super Bowl, there could be nobody better to talk about this game and preview the matchup than the man himself with the great insights, the former 49ers number one overall pick, the former Chiefs starting quarterback ahead of Patrick Mahomes, Alex Smith. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had, happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Alex, how are we doing? When I reached out, I'm like, who better to talk about Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs? And then the 49ers win. And I'm like, who better this entire week, these entire two weeks to talk to than the man that was the number one overall pick of the 49ers back in 2005, who then went on to play five seasons with the Kansas City Chiefs and helped train Patrick Mahomes. This is to me, Alex, the unofficial Alex Smith Super Bowl. So how do you approach this? How do you approach this? You know, it's funny. Uh, the beginning of the year, we had to pick Super Bowl picks. Yeah. And I like, you know, these are my two teams. I got a, so much love for both these teams. Obviously, Patrick and Andy and Kelsey. Like, uh, there's so many. Those are my guys in Kansas City. And 
Uh, same. I live back here in the Bay Area now. Like I'm, you know, my kids are huge Niner fans. I've kind of gotten reconnected uh, with that franchise too, and know Kyle and John Lynchwell and Brock Purdy. So I love both these teams. Besides the fact that I played for them, so they, these were like my teams from the get go. And the fact that they're both, they both made it through uh, this past weekend. I mean, the entire seasons. It's unbelievable. So I, I'm pumped. The, uh, you know, a rematch from a few years ago. Um, so not sure who I'm, where my 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 love's at at this point. Uh, with these two teams, um, I think it's a great matchup, though. I thought both games yesterday were unbelievable. Well, okay, again, so what will that be like for you to watch this game with all your cro- close relationships to the Chiefs people while living in the Bay Area and having the connections you do with that organization? Yeah, I mean, I, I think yesterday I had people reach out and like were like jokingly ask, you know, if they win, who are you going to be pulling for? And, I, you know, I, I haven't made up my mind. Like, I love, again, Patrick uh, is given his stardom and all that he has accomplished. Like this guy is, he's an awesome dude, great teammate, great person. Like I, I couldn't be happier for him. Like he's, just, it's just so real and authentic and same with Trav, like the, the personality and the passion that Trav has is the same. You know, I, I knew him when he was just fresh out of college and, and still kind of a knucklehead and to see him kind of grow into what he is, is, is unbelievable. And obviously I'm still close with Matt Nagy, incredibly close, Andy Reid, you know, that entire coaching staff. So it's very personal on that side, right? Like that they, they changed yeah. my career and changed my life going to Kansas City. And again, those relationships are so special. And then again, yeah, I mean, same here in, in San Fran. Like I got drafted here when I was 20 years old. Like I've known the Yorks. I've known Jed York since I was t- almost half my life. Like, again, they, they had such a big impact um, on my life. And again, I'm, I'm such a big fan of this team. They're so selfless. I love I love their style of play. I love Kyle. Um, again, and Brock Purdy, like, is there a better story, you know, like in football, like Mr. Irrelevant, you know, like it's not all about the measurables, Adam, you know, like, again, I I won that stupid beauty contest. That is the the combine and the draft, you know, and here's a guy (laughs) that, that doesn't measure up. Right. Like, and, and we still don't get it. Like, we still don't understand like that. It's not all about that. Right. It's not height and weight and 40 and all that. Like there's so much that goes on up here so much in, in your heart. Um, that makes you what you are. And this guy's like, it's so, it's so cool to see him, what he's doing, right? Like the last pick in the draft. And here he is a year two, uh, just unbelievable success. And the way he played to be down 17 and play the way yesterday was like, I mean, awesome. You had a great quote on Sunday countdown, great quote, and it went viral and it should have, you said as the unofficial president of the game manager club, he's not allowed in. Can you expand upon that a little bit and tell me what you meant? Yeah, you know, listen, that 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 term, you know, game manager is something that I danced with my entire career. You know, again, um, you know, the number one overall pick, huge expectations on me. And it's it's something I struggled with as a young player coming to the San Francisco 49ers, right? Like in the shadow of Giants, you know, Joe Montana and Steve Young. And I felt like I had to be perfect. And I certainly battled kind of imposter syndrome for a long time, right? Like, was I worth it? And I was so scared to make mistakes for such a long time. And um, kind of found my way out of that, you know, only then to find success, I feel like, and, and, and start playing well and then battle with this game manager term. Well, I'm just a game manager and, and, you know, and got to the point where obviously I had a lot of fun with it. Like, I don't, I don't really care. It doesn't mean that much to me, you know, like football is football and playing QB. There's so many different ways to do it. And I, this year, like, you know, just kind of built towards the end of the year as all this terms towards Brock Purdy, like as, as he began to to find himself in the MVP conversation to find so many people 
that were like offended by it. Like, listen, as, as you know, as we're like the halfway mark or three quarters to the season, that's the nature of the argument. There's MVP candidates. Like we have to have multiple and it's, I love, they're all great stories, right? Like Tua was a great story and Tyreek and Dak and like, you know, Jared Goff, like all these guys are great stories, Josh Allen. But like, for some reason, I think people feel the need to tear down Brock Purdy, right? Like to cut him down more than anybody else. And, and I just, I don't get it. And this last week after the Packer game, which he played in a month, it was raining, right? Like there, there's no quarterback in the NFL that likes to play in the rain. Let me make that very clear, right? And certainly if you can run really well, that that's an added attribute in those games because you can go make plays with your legs. But like Jordan Love on the other side threw two picks and missed several throws that slipped out. No different than Brock. And right, and I think people love to take that and made it more than what it was, right? Like that he, again, this was validation that he is just a, he's just a guy. He's just average. He's a product of that great situation. And I just think, again, I, I, I don't, they're not watching the tape. They're clearly, it's just lazy analysis. They're not watching the film. This guy put together one of the best seasons of the last 20 years at the quarterback position. He broke the 49er passing record, right, for yards. He broke Joe Montana's single season passer rating record, right? This is arguably the greatest season in 49er history. Um, you know, and that, and I, that's not, I'm not saying that lightly. These are some of the greatest seasons at quarterback that we've ever seen between Steve Young and Joe Montana. And again, he led the NFL in touchdown passes outside the pocket, right? He led the NFL in passing downfield. Like all these stupid narratives that people say about him just couldn't be more wrong. And so it really fired me up this last week. It, it really got me going. I'm going to tell you a true story about Brock Purdy. I don't pretend to know X's and O's the way that front offices do. Don't study it for a living. But I have covered the league for 35 years, and you could see certain things. There's an eye test. So I watched Brock Purdy in the preseason last year, and I spoke to various members of the 49ers organization after watching him in the preseason. And I said to them, and they will vouch for this, I go, let me tell you something. I've watched a lot of quarterbacks in the preseason. Only a few have stood out and popped to me. Russell Wilson was one. Dak Prescott was another. And Brock Purdy was the third that I can remember watching and saying to myself, wow. And that same year, and they're like, you think, you think, you think he's got a chance? I'm like, I'm telling you, this guy, this guy's big time. This guy looks like he's got a chance to be a player to me. And then when Jimmy went down, I remember speaking to the people in that organization and saying, you're going to be fine. You're going to, this guy's going to come in and everything's going to work out. And lo and behold, Brock Purdy became Brock Purdy. And I got to be honest with you. I'm not surprised by a lot of this. And I don't understand the people that bash him. I thought this guy, from the moment I watched him, he popped to me. He had something that other people didn't. And he's perfect for what they do. No doubt. And it, it's funny going back to that same week last week. I mean, sorry, last year when he got his first start. That was all the talk coming out of, out of the San Francisco, out of Santa Clara. Like Trent Williams was raving about the confidence of this kid and, and like his aura uh, Fred Warner was talking about obviously going against him all year as the as the scout team quarterback. What a good player he was, and this kid for being again, like he doesn't have big stature, right? Six foot, nothing, two hundred pounds. I think he's one of the best QBs in the NFL at his, even even regardless of age at standing in the pocket and taking shots and keeping his eyes downfield and making these throws. And it is something that you just can't teach, right? Like the ability to be fearless in there when pressure's bearing down on you and keep your eyes and not be distracted by it to keep your eyes downfield and to make these throws 
And it's even more impressive given his size, right? It's one thing if you're, if you're Josh Allen, you're 6'5", 240 to stand in there and make throws. But like, I mean, it, it's so good. And, and he did it. He did it yesterday, right? In the second half, he took some shots and made throws. And then I think really showed some people what a good athlete he is. If he wins this game, if he beats Patrick Mahomes and wins this game, what does that do for him, Alex? Oh, that's a, I think that's a whole nother level of achievement. I mean, I think he's already, listen, in two years, what, this guy's 21 and five. He went to an NFC championship game and now a Super Bowl. Like, I think people forget his age too. This guy's so young and it just continues to improve. And if he were to win this game, when in the AFC, right, the, the AFC is the gauntlet of quarterbacks and Patrick mowed down everybody again, right? Like, you bring him on, and he just took on an MVP candidate and a historic defense in their own backyard, and he just was – he was so good. And if, if Brock can win this game, oh, I mean, he slayed the dragon. I mean, it's, it's David and Goliath. Like, it's uh, – I mean, certainly, I think he's already silenced all the doubters. I, I But if he wins this, like, I, I mean, I think it's it's another level, right? Like, these are the games, and he did it, the divisional round game. Here, the NFC Championship game, and now the Super Bowl. Like this is where it, legends are made, right? Like, and I don't want to be cliche, but it's the truth. You play good on these big stages, you win a game as a quarterback. Like, and it it just this is the stuff we talk about fifty years later, right? Like, it just that's the way it is. You know, I'm just thinking. I don't recall seeing too many Brock Purdy commercials. And if he were to win this game, we're going to see a whole lot of Brock Purdy commercials this offseason. He's got a couple little regional ones out here. Oh, yeah? Yeah, like he's got a couple of regional ones. That, <laughs> but I think he'll step up. I think we'll step up to like some maybe some maybe an insurance carrier will pick him up or something. <laughs> hey, he might be doing ads with Patrick Mahomes and, and the guy from, from was it State Farm or Allstate, yep, whatever it yep, is, right? I hope he does. Now, let's flip it around. What if Patrick Mahomes wins this game? I mean, there's only one guy he's like at this point he's surpassed. It's it's, it's Tom Brady. Like that's it. It's Tom Brady and Patrick. And there's already great debate, uh, I think, at this point. Um, but again, Tom had so much longevity. Tom had three Hall of Fame careers, right? Like it, mm -hmm. not only, I mean, was he a phenomenal player, but he's did it for so long. And that's certainly the only person that Patrick's competing with at this point. It's just history. Um, I think the thing that I love about Patrick, though, like, this guy's just such a competitor, Adam. Like, man, he, he doesn't care. Like, I, I think he actually relished this year. Like, come the end of the year, all the struggles on offense, the drops, everybody saying this wasn't their year finally. I think he just relished it. And I, I know he did. I I've, I've been texting with him these last several weeks. Like, this guy just has a killer instinct. He loves a challenge. Couldn't win on the road. Takes down Josh Allen. Couldn't beat Baltimore here on the road. And just, like, absolutely was surgical yesterday. And so – uh no different here. I mean, I, I I think again. He you heard him immediately after the game. This guy didn't celebrate for thirty seconds. We're not done. We got one more. Right. He was the same thing. He texted me last night. Uh, uh you know, like uh, we got one more. Like this guy's on a mission, um, and he's just wired differently. Can he be beaten then with him on a mission? Because if he's on a mission and he's mowed down the people you have, can Brock Purdy beat him? My early, very early. Like, listen, I haven't watched. You know, like I just diving into this right now. Having watched that Niner defense, they're in trouble. I, I think they're in trouble. Listen, I think the only way you got to you, you got to play man and you got to come after him, right? And I still think he's phenomenal versus pressure, but like they don't have Tyreek right now, right? Like they the Kelsey, they got Rasheed Rice, they got some guys, but like it's I, I think you got to try to man up and come after him. 
And I still think that, you know, it's, it's sketchy proposition at that point. But like, if you sit back in zone, he, he, he is going to dice you up. And that's all the Niners play. The Niners predominantly play zone and their defensive line. You know, I know Nick Bosa made some plays yesterday, but their defensive line has not been what it was. Uh, it looks like they're, no. you know, hopefully I'll, maybe I'm asking you, I think they're going to get Joe Tooney back. You know, they're no. all pro guard. I nope. don't think so. Really? I don't think so. Uh, well, we'll see. But like, see. I just think like, listen, Kelsey's gotten older. He's still his best strength is versus zone, right? Like he has such a good feel for soft spots and leverage. And even Rishi, Rishi Rice, I think is also good in these zones and catching runs. And so, I mean, I, I think he's going to in two weeks to prepare, like this, this 49er defense doesn't do a lot. They don't present a lot of volume. Um, I, I think he, they're going to be in for it. The, the only chance I think the Niners have to win is a little bit of a shootout. And again, this Chiefs defense just continues to elevate their game. And and Spags and that entire side, like that was a masterpiece yesterday, right? Like nobody has yeah. shut down Lamar and this offense and what they did. Um, and with the youth, I mean, they have so many young players on that side of the ball and they just – they play such great team defense. They're great tackling defense. They know leverage. So um, kind of my early synopsis on that, but I think Patrick's going to have a day. Shocking, right? He always has a day. The styles don't don't fit here for the Niners. Like to play zone and you you don't have – your D-line's been struggling. Like that's not a good equation. So can they switch it up? I think they have a chance. You know, like Traverius Ward's one of the best man guys in football. Like, you know, you maybe you try to beat up Kelsey at the line and, and certainly not let him go 11 of 11. Uh, like the Ravens did, um, you make somebody else beat you. You know, it's it's like the the fellas on the Sunday countdown constantly say, like anybody but Kelsey. Um, yeah, and I think that's kind of what you have to do. And again, not I'm not letting him sit back and be comfortable. This is the problem, though. And 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 Patrick really showed it yesterday. Like that, it was so clinical, even when they did pressure him, like. What did he take? One sack. He didn't force anything. He never put the ball in jeopardy. He got the ball out of his hands. He's up at the line. He's checking protections. He knows where it's coming. Like, I, not only is he like the most gifted player in football, like maybe ever, like, I think at this point, he's probably the smartest quarterback at the line of scrimmage. Like, he studies so well. I mean, he, he is so in tune, like, on how to win, too. I think wow. he's really figured out this team, right? Like, how we're going to win this year. I got a great defense. I'm going to take care of the football, get the ball out of my hands to my guys. Like, no negative plays. You know, he really helps his offensive line. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of Tom Brady behind the Patriots offensive line that it wasn't always the best line, but he always was very quick to get rid of the ball. He knew just what to do. And when you say Mahomes is playing at that level and is so smart and has studied the game and has advanced so far along in that regard, it makes it a very difficult combination. And when you say the Niners defense is in trouble, here's what's been different about this team to me. When I've watched this great 49ers team in recent years, the one that's gotten to the NFC Championship game in each of the last three years, the previous two, the defense to me seemed like it was dominant. It seemed like it was a force. They were constantly getting pressure. I haven't either. I totally agree with you. And I think they that's what they, they've they been winning like that, right? Like this, they, Kyle knows, listen, when you have a dominant defensive line, like as an opposing offense, like – it's horrible, right? Like run the ball, pass. Like it's just a nightmare. They're so disruptive. And so you saw it this offseason, even though their defensive line was a strength of theirs, what do they go do? They, their biggest free agent signing in football was go get Hargrave, right? Like here before the trade deadline, they go get Chase Young. Like they know it. And yet we just haven't seen it consistently. I mean, Eric Armstead's a phenomenal player. Like they've got the pieces up there. It's not showing. No, it, it's not. And I think, again, if you are, like when we've seen the Chiefs struggle, 
It's when there's been these negative plays on first and second down, sacks, offensive holdings, tackles for losses. Because I, I think you can maybe get after this offensive line a little bit, especially these offensive tackles that have struggled at times with those things. So I think, again, like if, if they're going to have a chance, we need to have a big Nick Bosa game, right? We need to have a big Chase Young game on the edge. They need to expose these guys, get them in second and 20s. and there, There's your chance. I thought the same – when I saw Nick Bosa highlight this morning, I said to myself, there's the guy that's going to have to have the day for this team to win the Super Bowl. It's sort of like when Brady was in the Super Bowl. You're playing a superstar, somebody who is superhuman. And the only way that he ever lost in that game was when the Giants got after him and he was under so much pressure that he couldn't be exactly Tom Brady. And you get the feeling it's the same way with Patrick Mahomes. If Patrick Mahomes is going to sit back there and have time to be Patrick Mahomes, he's going to take him apart, like you're saying, and the 49ers defense is going to be in trouble. If Nick Bosa and Javon Hargrave and Eric Armstead and Chase Young and Randy Gregory and all these guys that they've accumulated up front get the pressure that they're supposed to, then it gives the Niners a chance. Yep. No different than the only time we've seen Patrick struggle was the Super Bowl against Tampa Bay, right? Obviously, they had some injuries up front, but that defensive line overwhelmed that game, and, and he, he didn't even have a chance, obviously, to be Patrick. So, uh, absolutely. And if, if if Joe Tooney's still out, we'll see. But obviously, I mean, Trey Smith, who's a phenomenal guard, had two big holding penalties in that last game against Matabike. Like, we need to see also Hargrave and, and Armstead need to – these guys need – to become, you know, play like the players we know they are, which they are. They're unbelievable. And, and I think it is encouraging if you're a Niners fan. Nick Bosa probably just had his best game. Here's what I want to ask you. You finish up in San Francisco in 2012, the Chiefs trade for you at the Super Bowl. I remember yep. it was Super Bowl week, which was like the earliest trade that ever came down. I believe I was in Minnesota. Is that correct? Minnesota was when I got traded to Washington. That was my second trade. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, okay, you've been traded a couple. Okay, I'm yeah. confusing my trades. Okay, but you get traded to Kansas City. I believe that was Andy Reid's first year. Yep, he had just come in. When you got in there, I want to know what stood out to you about Andy Reid that makes him the great coach today. Oh, yeah. I mean, to me, that that's easy. There's so many coaches I've been around, especially on offense, Adam, that like they just know a playbook, right? They come up as a young assistant in quality control or whatever, and then they get their foot in the door, and then maybe they're the QB coach or an offensive line coach, and then they work their way up to coordinator. And it's like they know this playbook, right? And whatever whatever few years they learned it, like that's what they're just going to take with them for the rest of their career. And they're going to try and like get the pieces in that fit that playbook, right? Like that they know that that's not Andy, right? Andy is all conceptual. Like he is going to – this playbook is going to morph to whoever he has. Like this – it looks – think about like – this offense looks so different when Donovan McNabb was at quarterback, when Michael Vick was at quarterback, when Nick Foles was at quarterback, myself, right? Now it looks completely different with Patrick. And he just does – and this is the crazy part. Some of the concepts are still the same. He's still running shallow cross. He's still running 22Z in. He's still running like these – like this is West Coast 101, but like now it's out of shotgun and out of uh, you know 11 people and it's a different formation and motion. And he's got guys moving all over the place, but like the concepts are the same. And that's kind of the beauty of it. And I also just think from a head coach perspective, listen, this guy is one of the least judgmental people in football. And he just, he lets you be you. And in fact, he encourages you to be you. Like you remember, I, I talked about like certainly some of my, my insecurities as a young player. When I got traded there, like, man, this guy makes you feel like you're, you're good enough, right? Like you're good enough. You go be you. That's all you have to do. And we're going to roll. That's the gift of a great coach yeah. or a great yeah. teacher, right? 
No doubt. I mean, a little bit, of, you know, from the outside in makes me think about like Goff and Campbell, right? Like Dan Campbell, like that same kind of thing. Like you just, I went into game so confident. Like he used to have this saying, you know, and again, like I was battling the game manager thing. And like, this is just an Andyism. Like he'd be on the sideline of like a big, big TV timeout, huge moment in the game, you know? And he'd be like, hey, he'd be like, bump my elbows. He'd be like, when in doubt, go deep. Like that's like, he would always say that to me. Like, hey, when in doubt, go deep. Like, uh, he just, he has a great sense of humor. He loves what he does. So like, I, I, again, I think and we've seen it there. Like he gives guys second chances, king of second chances, right? Come in. He's again, not judgmental. And then he just lets you be you guys are so comfortable, uh, you know, letting their personality show. He always says that let your personality show. Um, and then, it, you know, I think the biggest thing too, given like now, even on the Super Bowl, like the bigger the stage, he's always the same. Like it's the same routine every week. He, you know, he's no different. He's good or bad. He like comes to work. He loves what he does. Like not too high, not too low. And I think that's a, it's a good example for the team. It's amazing to me that, you know, you come in as a number one overall pick, Jared Goff comes in as a number one overall pick. And yet you guys are as much in need of a pat on the back, some reassurance, some confidence building as me or anybody else. No doubt. I think people like, listen, you win this and you, I, I think you assume in the NFL, it's like, yeah, these are the biggest, baddest guys in the world and they've got to be confident but when you're the number one pick and you're young and you come in, certainly the expectations can kind of flip things on you. And you like, for me, I know it did. And I battled that, right? Like I got to be perfect. I can't make a mistake. Um, and I never had played football like that. Like I was a guy that, you know, when I got to college, I mean, I had one scholarship offer out of high school, right? Like no one expected wow. anything out of me. And I played every day, like in college, like with a killer instinct. Right. Like I bring on the big schools. I kind of had a chip on my shoulder and you do. I, I heard Jared Goff talk about it. Like when you're the number one pick and you win that crazy thing that is the combine in the NFL draft, like it, it, it can have an effect on you. It's different. You're the number one overall pick. You're on every newspaper in the country. Like it just, it, it changed my mindset. It's real. Yeah. It's real. And it was heavy and it never left me. Yeah. Like I just, it, the, the anxiety and again, the, the self-doubt, like had a profound impact on me. Like the, the word bust, like, you know, it like haunted me. Um, and so it took me a lot of years to kind of get out of my way. And again, as a football player, sometimes these aren't the things we talk about, right. Or like deal with, um, and certainly two people, I mentioned it yesterday on the show, you know, Jim Harbaugh certainly had a big impact on me in that regard, but Andy as well, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, those guys like it certainly changed my career. And we could do a whole podcast on that. Just the approach of handling a first round pick and what it's like to go through your NFL career. But I do want to ask you about Patrick Mahomes because you're in Kansas City from 2013 to 17. You are cemented as the guy there, and then they go out and draft Patrick Mahomes in the first round. Yep. I want to know what were your first impressions of Patrick and when you first realized that he was next level. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the thing people should know is certainly it wasn't a, a surprise. Like Andy communicated everything very clearly, um, so I wasn't like – blindsided by anything um you know and it was very clear to me that year that it was my starting job right like andy had said it like you know and, and i knew at that point it was like year 12 like if i don't get it done they're gonna go find somebody but you know like that's just the reality when you get to that age it is a year-to-year -year deal and i was totally fine with it and obviously appreciative and grateful of the opportunity at that point i was rolling with it and i think i was determined to not be distracted personally by the pick right like here's my replacement i wasn't going to look over my shoulder and let it be a distraction. I was going to focus on the opportunity at hand. And I think immediately though, like Patrick and I spoke, I don't know if it was the day he got drafted or the next day, like pretty quick on the phone. And just like immediately I, I, there was great mutual respect right here. Him and I had no say in this 
and I had been a young pick, right? Like I had been the number one pick and, and gone in. I had no say where I was going. And again, I, I had some empathy for where he was. My Me reaching my potential had nothing to do with Patrick reaching his, right? And so I think having it was important to have like Matt Nagy was there, was unbelievable with it and Andy and like creating a culture where like, you know what I'm saying? Like we can compete and be great teammates. And I don't think, in, and I, I know this, like in hindsight, it wasn't a coincidence that that was my career year, was the year that Patrick was behind me. It motivated you. Yeah. I mean, I just like, we had a great relationship. We like the QB room there is really special. You competed everything we, you, like all year long, every day. Like, and it's, it's a healthy competition, like out on the practice field. You just, it's fun. You learn to like relish. I don't care if we're shooting hoops in the locker room or, you know, like playing silly goalpost games or what, like we just, it's just the way it is. And it's fun. I think to answer the question when I knew Patrick had it, it's not something like day one, right? Like, you know, you're playing catch with him. You're kind of like sizing him up. You know, yep. uh, and you're watching him certainly take his reps. It probably was halfway through that year, though, that I, I can remember him making, you know, he's running the scout team. And certainly as the starter, you're, you know, you're kind of off over to the side and you're going through, you know, you're going through the game plan and maybe the next period. But you're also kind of keeping an eye on on what's going on out there. And ha and he started it was about the midseason that year. He started doing these no look passes. Against an NFL defense, right? Like he's going against the ones. He's playing with practice squad guys out there. And he starts no-looking slants and no-looking dig routes over the middle. And like it would just like was so rare. Like here he is. He's only been a pro for like a few weeks, months, you know, and like to to just again to have that. We talked about obviously with Brock, but like again, to have that kind of it and confidence. And just like it wasn't too big for him. It just was another thing to compete at, right? And that it was, that's what it is for Patrick. And it was like, I remember, you know, like Derek Johnson and Eric Berry coming over sometimes and being like, you got to check out that throw he made. Like, because they would watch their film, their practice tape, you know, and he'd be like looking off Eric Berry and like hum a no-look ball over the middle. And, and it would almost be like unfair. You're like, well, we're not going to see that on Sunday. You know, like as a defense, because the, the guy we're going against isn't going to be doing that, but... I think midway through the year, we kind of you realize like this kid's a good player, man. He and and he has it like not is he physically gifted, which he was, but like it was more again coming back to like he was the game just slowed down for him, and and again it wasn't too big at all. So you recognize it by the middle of the year, and I will tell you this: I remember talking to some people in the Chiefs' personnel department, yeah. front office, and they were telling me that during training camp when he was running third team, yeah that they would go back after practice to watch, watch the his practice throws. Yeah. of the third team. And they could tell right then and there all summer long during training camp that this guy was different. Well, crazy thing is Veach. This is, I remember when Veach was not even the GM, we still had, uh, you know, Dorsey there, but Veach was kind of the number two. I think Patrick had just finished his freshman year at Texas tech. And I can remember Veach coming in and he was Fred Veach, who is now for everybody out there. He is the GM of the chiefs. He's a two, you know, huge, responsibility for taking Patrick and moving up. He was in love with Patrick after his freshman year. I remember him coming in. We all, it was a great relationship there. He came in the QB room. He's like, you guys got to see this guy like that. Like, cause we would always talk ball, you know, talk college football and different stuff. And he had his eyes on him for a long time. I'll say that. And so did Andy there. And, and, and you said that Andy told you, so you knew that this guy was in play yep. in the year that they drafted him. Yeah. You were not surprised at all that Patrick Mahomes wound up no, in Kansas. No, I mean, yeah, I knew I knew they loved Patrick, and I knew they, yeah, they were going to potentially move up and take a QB in the first. Yep.
See, see, when I hear that, it makes me lament the fact that I didn't know you back in the day like this, that I could have called you and said, Alex, not that you would have told me anyway. They do love Patrick Mahomes, yeah. don't they? Yeah. <laughs> you knew, yeah. and I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I think they worked hard to keep it secret. They did a great job yeah. of keeping it secret. There yeah. were very few people because you know who else loved them? Sean Payton and the New Orleans Saints loved them. And they jumped up one slot in front of the Saints and picked him. And think how history would have been different if he had been there for New Orleans and Sean Payton took him at that spot. I might still be playing in Kansas City, Adam. You might still be playing <laughs> Kansas City. Sean Payton still might be coaching in New Orleans. Uh, Who would be coaching in Denver? We could go on and on. The AFC West would be yeah. totally different. Jim Harbaugh doesn't know he's going to lose his, his insanity in the next few years going up against Mahomes, right. but he is, and he wouldn't have if Mahomes was playing in the NFC South. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, anyway, hey, Alex, I want to thank you for all this time today. This is your Super Bowl. It's going to be a very difficult thing for you to enjoy. And I appreciate you taking some time. And I also have to tell you this. I've never even said this to you. I don't know if you remember the year that you were drafted back in 2005. But at that time, what I had been working, yes, I had just started for NFL Network. So I remember being at the league office and riding around in buses in New York City with the draft prospects. Yep, I remember that. With you and Aaron Rodgers and yep. going over to, I think we went to like Chelsea Piers for yep. press conferences. We did some like sightseeing things, like PR stuff. Yep, I remember yeah, that but well. but in 2005, that would have been 19 years ago. So I would have been about, how old? I'm 57, 38 years old. You're still, so looking, like, you're still looking good. Well, I know, but 38, like I, I, I would have been a little bit more bashful about approaching you guys. So I sat on the bus and just minded my own business. <laughs> but I vividly remember... Those rides. I, remember, I still remember the, it well. Yep. In, in the year that you became the number one pick. So it's kind of cool to watch that and now have the honor of working with you at ESPN no, and watch you do the mine. great job that you do. No, it's mine. And yeah. I appreciate the time today. We'll see you in Vegas for the Super Bowl. It's going to be a tough, tough, emotional three and a half hours for you. Yep. Yep. Can't wait. Shefty, thanks for having me, buddy. How good is Alex Smith? Wow. I mean, that's unbelievable to listen to all that. And clearly, he does like the Chiefs. In this matchup, even though he lives in the Bay Area, he doesn't think the 49ers defense can hold up to Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, which would not make our next guest very happy. Our next guest's culinary career is tied to San Francisco in part because of his love of the 49ers. Michael Mina, one of the most famous chefs out there, a man that has the Bellagio restaurant in Las Vegas, strip steak in the Mandalay Bay, strip steaks across the country along with bungalow kitchens and bourbon steaks and some of the most notable restaurants across the country. A man who loves the 49ers will be hosting countless dinner parties in Las Vegas next week and will be in attendance for Super Bowl 58 to root on his 49ers against two of his favorite customers, Andy Reid, and Alex Smith. And oh, by the way, some breaking news here. Breaking news. Andy Reid doesn't just eat cheeseburgers. He also likes Michael Mina's lobster pot pies. Michael Mina. Look who it is. <laughs> hey, Adam. How are you Michael, doing? how are you doing? Oh, I couldn't be better today. <laughs> that, that, that looks like a very cool background. Where are you at right now? <laughs> I'm at Strip Steak. I'm at my restaurant here one of my restaurants here at mandalay bay in las vegas how's strip steak doing so far oh strip steak's doing amazing we've been here 20 years now and uh this one's doing amazing we just opened another one here at mandalay bay uh called orla and we opened that about uh just about a week and a half ago 
And that one's been a lot of fun because that's uh, Middle Eastern Mediterranean. So it's got a lot of my mom's Egyptian recipes and Greek recipes. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. So the reason I'm reaching out to you now is because it's a big week, right? You got your football team in the Super Bowl. They're coming (laughs) to the city in which you operate. A handful of restaurants. Now, I know you've yeah. got 40 restaurants worldwide. Over 40? Yeah. Uh, a little over 40. 42. <laughs> 42. So you got over 42 restaurants worldwide. How many in mm-hmm. Vegas altogether? We have five now in Las Vegas um, with our new our new child, the one I just told you about, Orla. We have five now in Las Vegas and soon to be six. <laughs> so. Okay. So five and soon to be six. And you've got yes. your football team coming this week for the Super Bowl. So what is this whole experience like for you? What are these next few days going to be like? Oh, it's unbelievable. Honestly, um, it, it, it couldn't be a better script to have the first Super Bowl in Vegas and to have the 49ers here and Kansas City. I, I've uh, I've always been good friends with Coach Andy Reid. And uh, so I told him I told him in midseason, I texted him at midseason and I said uh, he was here for they were playing the Raiders. And I said, you'll be back. Uh, well, you'll be playing the Niners, <laughs> the Super Bowl here. And then he just, just texted them this morning. I said, look at the text above. And he's like, he picked it. <laughs> so, so now I'm really excited because um, we're going to do a handful of really fun activations in the restaurants. Um, we're, uh, we got some cool uh, Ronnie Lott on Monday night uh, next week. Um, he'll be hosting a little Hall of Fame fireside chat with a few Hall of Fame uh, players. And so we'll get so I get to poke in my head in and listen in on that. And, you know, and I'm just going to have a lot of fun with the restaurants and, and a lot of great people coming in to do events. So will Coach Reed be coming in to eat while he's in Vegas, do we expect? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, 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 he, he will. Uh, the night before last Super Bowl. I had the one in Miami when in 2020 when they played when Kansas yeah. City and the 49ers played. I had a uh, Patrick Mahomes and Coach Reed at the restaurant the night before, and I'm like, do they know how big of a 49er fan? <laughs> yeah. And do they know that? <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> and, and, see, see, Michael, you you could have taken that opportunity to food poison them. Was that strip steak at the fa- was that strip steak at the Fountain Blue? That was actually bourbon steak in Turnberry. So, okay. But yeah, I think it would have been a little obvious. <laughs> now, 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 here's my other question. When Andy yes. comes in, he eats something other than cheeseburgers? Because you've, yes. you're, yeah, you cook a lot more than that. And I always... <laughs> Look at Andy, he's just a cheeseburger guy. The, you know, I think we I think we became friends because of the lobster Popeye. I think that's how we became friends. I think he I um he comes to my restaurant in Orange County and uh and he had the the first time he came in, he had the lobster Popeye. And I think that's how we became friends. <laughs> so. so hold on, I didn't realize, Michael, that we were gonna be breaking news here that uh-huh. Andy Reid not only eats cheeseburgers, but he eats lobster pot pies. <laughs> That's it. Right? That's it. <laughs> will, will it be hard for you to watch the 49ers when they're going up against such good customers and Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid? Never. <laughs> no, Never. I, I, my whole, you know, I don't know if I ever told you, but the, I think, I think are part of, the success of my luckily knock on wood journey in culinary is because of the 49ers, because I literally moved to San Francisco and opened my first restaurant because I was such a diehard 49er fan that I was 
I said, I have to live in San Francisco. And my first purchase ever was two two season tickets to Candlestick. <laughs> and so Is that that's, that's right? How I, that's how I, that's why I moved to San Francisco to begin with. And then it turned out to be a great decision because it's such a good culinary city but it was all because it's all because i was such a fanatic over the 49ers so nothing can get in the way of that so what year did you first get your season tickets to candlestick and when was your first restaurant in san francisco opened so i got them in 1989 my first tickets and then i opened my first restaurant in 1991 and that's when we started like the whole tradition out in the out in the parking lot of Candlestick that became the big tailgate at Levi's. Uh, we started that tradition out there of a bunch of chefs uh, doing tail, doing these tailgate parties and they became, they became epic. And so started in 89. <laughs> wow. So there is a correlation between the rise of all your restaurants across the country and your fandom of the 49ers? <laughs> I think I would definitely say there is. But, you know, honestly, the first the, the first day I got to San Francisco, I was driving so fast because my friend had tickets to that Monday night game when when they were playing the Giants way back when and both of both teams were they were almost undefeated going into that Monday night game and Phil Sims and Ronnie Lott them were jawing and I got there just in time. And that was, I got to San Francisco an hour before that game. And that was the first thing I did. <laughs> wow. So you were at the <laughs> NFC championship game on Sunday. I know you were there, right? And yeah. What was yeah. that like? What were your takeaways? What will you remember about that game? <laughs> oh, I, ne I was never worried. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Dying. At the end of the first half, I I, uh, <laughs> I just, we switched seats with just to try to change the luck. <laughs> and it did, and, and it, it changed and it. And it worked. Yeah. And it changed. Yeah. What, what is more stressful, a busy Friday or Saturday night in a restaurant or watching the 49ers be down 24-7 at the half of a conference championship game? Oh, not even close, watching the 49ers be down. <laughs> because, you know, I do think I'm actually coaching from my seat. <laughs> but, I, but, you know, I'm not. I know I'm not, but I, I think I am. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> I was very stressed. <laughs> so now will you be going to Super Bowl 58? You will be, obviously, yes. right? Yes. And what will yeah. that be like for you? How many Super Bowls have you been to, Michael? I have been to um, when this will be twenty one. So you'd be going whether the Niners were playing in this game or not. Yeah, I, that's that's kind of our trip every year. Me and a few a group of group of close friends. We kind of have you know our industry is fun. It's amazing, but it it is a lot of work. And so we've always said that our one trip every year is always the Super Bowl. And so for the most part, we almost get there every year um for one reason or another and uh but it sure is nice when the 49ers are in it. and what is the difference with the fact that a trip that you normally would make is being held in a city where you have six soon to be seven restaurants yeah you know honestly one it's been did get a lot of phone calls today which was great <laughs> a lot of people like how could you help me out but which is great but um I couldn't be honestly couldn't be more excited because the Super Bowl is just, you know, I, I mean, I think, uh, you know, when you're a big sports fan, Super Bowl is just so special. And then to have it in Las Vegas, I think it's just going to be unbelievable city to have the Super Bowl. And, um, you know, 
it's been really fun just to watch this season, honestly, with the Raiders being here this year. And, you know, I think people, you know, people that have you that, you know, you follow a team, you know, a lot of people always pick one game they're going to go to every year. And, and it's been interesting to see, like, everyone comes to Vegas when they're playing, when their team's playing the Raiders. So um, it's uh, it, it's always been fun to, like, see who comes to town based on what team's coming. And now you get to see who comes to town based on the Super Bowl. <laughs> and why do you say that Vegas will be an amazing place to have a Super Bowl? Vegas knows how to throw a party and knows how to entertain. There, there's no city like it, you know, that for handling, for handling like crowds like this and being able to have so, you know, like they already know how to move people properly throughout everything. And, and, and I just think that, you know, people are, I think it's just going to be an amazing place for the Super Bowl. I think I always love going to New Orleans. I always think that one is that, you know, that one is my, always been my favorite city for the Super Bowl, but I think, Vegas is going to be right up there with it. You're talking about how much the city has changed, Michael. For the people who are coming into Vegas next week for the Super yes. Bowl, feel free to tell your own place. Where should they be eating and what should they be doing while they're there during the time they have to come in before the game? Well, I think what's really cool about Vegas is the casinos are like little cities, you know, and so depending on which casino you're in, you're going to have, you're going to have, um, you know, a different night, different nightlife different restaurants or whatnot i i'm always a big believer that you should see bellagio you know if you're gonna yeah i just i i think it's just i think it had so iconic of you know for this for this city and and then aria and city center like what they what was built at aria i have a restaurant there called bardo it's a great place to go uh for dinner or for brunch but but um i think aria to me has always been one of those casinos that's like i think again like those two really um changed they both had a big hand in changing las vegas and then you know i'm uh like i said we just opened here at mandalay bay and because of the proximity to the stadium i think so much is going to be going on here at mandalay bay so i think those would be three great ones to check out for sure while you're here so you've been in vegas for 25 years now yeah i've had restaurants here for 25 years i mean i've lived yeah. in san francisco but i've had restaurants here for right. 25 years that's right yeah. so what what is the biggest change in las vegas over 25 years and did you think that the day ever would come where you would see a super bowl in that particular city um i did i actually thought that i thought at some point sports was really going to get here i always felt like it was gonna because it's just too much of a no-brainer in all honesty i mean when you look at it it's like uh, <laughs> you know why wouldn't they be here you know and and so i am happy to see that that day has come but i think you know the change really did start with bellagio i mean it started when yeah. bellagio opened and you saw that you know wow you know they're they're really raising they're really raising, for lack of a better word, they're really raising the stakes when it comes to dining and entertainment um, versus just gaming. And, you know, and I think as soon as that started, it just opened up the floodgates to, to you know, how much of a, you know, how much it made sense to have great dining, obviously have great shows and everything else in Vegas. And I can't let you go without getting your prediction for the game, Michael. I don't oh. mean to worry you. I don't mean to worry yeah. you, but I had Alex Smith on before you. And he's very worried about how the 49ers defense is going to hold up against Patrick yeah. Mahomes. Well, I, I know why. I know why you would be worried about that. But I don't know, man. I think I think 
Brock's going to run a little. <laughs> that, that was a new, that was a new wrinkle that looked really good. <laughs> it looked really good this week. It looked really good. 27, 24 Niners. <laughs> there we go. You didn't even hesitate. I love it, Michael. You went right there. 27, 24. Any of the Niners coming in next week, they have plans to come into your places. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're, yeah, I think we've got, uh, we're going to have, you know, knock on wood. I, do get thanks to you know that being part of the stadium there i do have some great ties with the players and and with the with the team and so we're going to do hopefully be hosting a lot of niner events we we've already started uh working on those <laughs> so. well you'll, you'll be hosting adam Schefter one night next week as well. i can't wait that, that's right? what i'm really excited for yeah, I, i'm I'll excited be picking your brain i'll be picking your brain all night <laughs> Hey, hey, I'll be picking the food off your plates. You'll be picking my brain. It's a fair trade. That works out very well, Michael. Hey, I appreciate making some time today. Thank I look you. forward to seeing Good you night. in person next week Absolutely. in Vegas. And I appreciate Absolutely. the time today. Thank you so much. Thank you to Michael Mino for joining us today. And we thank him in advance because I know that I will be trying to sample one of his outstanding restaurants in Las Vegas next week as well. So in advance, thank you for that as well. And we are about to get ready to leave for Las Vegas. And Daniel, I will say this. The thing that I am most excited about for the Super Bowl right now, and it used to be something that I didn't even attend, is media night with my, with my daughter, Dylan Schefter, because she's working it. And I get to be her spotter, runner, flanker, whatever you want to call it, and watch her interview players and coaches from both teams to run on Nickelodeon Slime Time show next Wednesday and to interview players for the CBS pregame show. Oh, wow. They have, they have a room set up for her on Monday where she supposedly is going to get star players from each team. And I've never gotten that at the Super Bowl, but Dylan <laughs> Schefter will. And I will be there just to watch it all and observe and they're going to play her interviews on Slime Time on Wednesday night and then the CBS pregame show, 11.30 a.m. on Sunday. And because she's working with the broadcasting network for the Super Bowl, which I've never done before, she obviously will have access that I've never gotten at the Super Bowl. So there's nothing that's going to give me any more pleasure personally next week than to be a part of her little journalistic journey here to sit down and talk with the various players on the various teams. I can say that the one thing she is hoping for is to see Taylor Swift on the field after the game, like everybody else. I know people get pissed off when they hear that, but this is a 15 year old girl. That's what she'd like to do. That would be something that would be deep and meaningful for her. We'll see if that ever happens. Who knows, but she will be working Monday night and I will be there to help support and just observe everything that she does that night with tremendous fatherly pride. So that is what I am looking forward to more than anything in Las Vegas. Sounds like for the first time, Adam, you are going to be the Schefter that doesn't have the sources at your disposal. She's going to be the one with all the sources doing all these interviews. You're going to be the one needing to go to her to say, Dylan, can you give me a little something here on this guy? What, what can you tell me about somebody here? You know what? It's funny because she had Kobe Turner of the Rams on at the end of the season. They're a great rookie defensive tackle. And he was yep. talking about the fact that he was trying to get everybody to sing a song and put together an album like the Philadelphia Eagles offensive line did. And he's talking <laughs> about maybe merging or having a sing-off West Coast versus East Coast for charity or having them do a song together. And I thought to myself, oh, this would be a great note to use. But you know what? It's all hers. 
She yep. got it. Yeah. So so good for her. And we'll leave that to her. And hopefully on Monday night, she gets more interesting items. But as I've always said, the great part was when I first started out at ESPN, I was taking her to work with me. And now she takes me to work with her. How and awesome I much prefer going to work with her than having her yeah. come to work with me. That's the way <laughs> it kind of goes. So that's the week. Anyway, I want to thank Alex Smith, the man who the Super Bowl is basically dedicated to. I want to thank Michael Mina, the great restaurateur out in Las Vegas. Go visit his places. I want to thank the quarterback of the six-pack and allowing me to hijack the first question from him this week, Daniel Dopp. I want to thank my great producers, Christina Buswell and Sarah Abbott. And I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week as we preview Super Bowl 58 from Las Vegas when we are scheduled to be joined by the CBS sideline reporter, Tracy Wolfson. Until then, have a great week. Be well, stay safe, and enjoy the football-free, relatively football-free weekend.